1999, Michelle and I, uh, I was a lawyer. Some of you know that. The Lord called me into ministry. We moved down to Dallas uh, for, for me to go to seminary. And of course, when you move to a new city, you got to find all new doctors, all new dentists, all new you know, mechanics, all that stuff. So we found a new pediatrician by the name of Dr. Larry Gray. And uh, Michelle took, at that point, she was great with child, with Berkeley, but she took um, Tucker and Gabby uh, to see Dr. Gray. And uh, I'll never forget this because I didn't go, but she came home and she told me, she goes, today, I don't know if it was the first question he asked, but sometime during the, the, the time of just getting to know, she, he, he asked her this question, how often do you sit down with your family for dinner? And I'm like, that's a new pediatrician question, right? I didn't expect to hear that. And she was like, uh, well, um, like seven days a week. He's like, wow. She's like, why? And he said, because in my experience, um, uh, parents spend less than 15 minutes a day with their children. And he went on to sort of talk about the benefits and why our children need that. Um, Michelle and I have sort of latched on to that, and we were already doing it, but it was like, oh, okay, this is really important. And so a lot of times when we're talking to young couples, we, we sort of, there's like these two big pillars that I feel like we try to, to help people understand that we've learned. And, and one of them is that, 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 that this dinner time, this coming together around a meal is really, for us, became the most important part of our parenting. It's where discipleship happened. It's where conversations, it's where lots of stuff was happening. And let me just disabuse you unless you think, oh, well, that's because you're, you know, it's probably like a mini service and Tucker leads worship and, you know, you preach a sermon or something like that. Not like we argue, we laugh, we talk about movies, we talk about stupid stuff, books we've read, whatever, right? Just like you. But what we've discovered is that over and over, it's that mundane coming together, sitting around the table that, that really that made the biggest difference in our children's lives. Not the epic vacations that we would have wanted to take or took, not those monumental moments in their lives or, or, or whatever. What made the biggest difference is this sort of ordinary rhythm of just being together as a family. That was kind of pillar one. Pillar two was that we realized that quantity led to quality. And these sort of, sort of related. In other words, what I mean by that is that we learned that, that, that it was the quantity of time. The more time we spent together, the more windows opened up into our children's souls that allowed us those moments of great quality that every parent is like, these are awesome. Look what's happening. I don't want to spoil this, right? This is amazing what's going on right now. But it wasn't because we tried to orchestrate them. It's because we simply did the, the ordinary thing of coming together, being together all the time. Now, this is not a parenting series, so that was for free, but... This is, I, I want you to, to see, we're, we're talking about the church right now, and hopefully you're beginning to see some parallels. The Bible calls us a family. We have a meal we share. Paul even talks about this as being a time of, of milk and meat of the word of God. We gather. And what I want you to hear is just this regular gathering, this mundane, ordinary thing that we do week in, week out that makes the biggest difference in your life and mine. I'll be honest with you. Uh, very few of you know this. I'm not, I, I, I don't like big Sundays. 
like, like for whatever reason, Easter, I love Easter. I love the resurrection, right? Hear me. You'd be like, no, that's scary if you don't, right? But like, like it's that, it's that like, we're all on. We're all like, this is a big, I just love it like right now. Here we are, the gathered people of God on an ordinary Sunday, nothing really special happening that we can see because something powerful is happening here. Um, okay, so let me just lay my cards on the table and tell you what I'm gonna try to do this morning, okay? I want to, I want to encourage you to make in-person attendance a habit, a habitual part of your life. And I want to show you from scripture why I don't think that's an option for most of you. Okay, now, now I may be preaching to the choir right here and maybe the ones listening to me or watching live stream are the ones that need to hear us, but, but hear what I said. For most people, it's not an option. It's a command. But let's start with the encouragement, okay? First, the personal encouragement that I want you to see is that in-person attendance is just flat out good for you. Now, let me show you what I mean. Some of you know the name Rebecca McLaughlin. Uh, she's written a few books, she's, she's brilliant, and uh, she wrote a blog post not too long ago, uh, 2018, where, where l- listen to what she says. She starts off by quoting an op-ed piece from USA Today, and this is where, how it starts. If one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, this is, wrote uh, professor, Harvard professor Tyler uh, Vanderweel and journalist John Sniff, what value would our society place on it? What value do we give for this elixir that could produce mental and physical health for millions of Americans? Because believe it or not, it exists. I'm not talking about vaccine, right? The article goes on to talk about extensive research, like lots and lots of research on how religious in-person participation correlates with multiple measures of mental and physical health. So let, let me just keep quoting the article, okay? Those who attend services have lower rates of depression, are more optimistic, are less likely to commit suicide, are 20% to 30% less likely to to die over a 15-year period. One of the positive correlations is with lower likelihood of divorce, while people who check the box Christian on a census form may be no more likely to have stable marriages than those who don't, regular church attendance does seem to make the marriage not harder to untie. Another area is forgiveness. Regular church attendance is associated with higher levels of forgiveness and higher levels of forgiveness correlate with less depression, less anxiety, less likelihood of nicotine addiction or substance abuse and few self-reported health symptoms. And then listen to what Rebecca McLaughlin says. She says, flip this data on its head and declining church attendance in the U.S. could be termed a public health crisis. That was written 18 months before COVID, I can only imagine how bad the health crisis is now. With people staying away in record numbers. In fact, some just giving up altogether. So, so, so in other words, secular science proves scripture. Are you surprised at that? Um, 
See, now, and, and maybe some of you are going, wait, whoa, 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 Chris. So you're saying that if you go to church regularly, if I show up here, I will be happy, healthy, wealthy, wise. No. Right, hear me. But, but listen, let, let's talk about that. Um, the, the, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Your, your life is not going to be, you know, all unicorns and fairy tales, right? It's going to have hardship, right? Take up your cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ bids, calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's true. That's all very true. What we shouldn't be surprised, however, is that the Bible, that, that, that when the Bible makes a command, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments in a, in a, in a few weeks. We're going to start walking through those through the fall, Right? that that is meant to help us flourish. Do you know this? That a command of scripture isn't to be a duty and a drudgery. It's actually, if you'll live your life in harmony with this, that this is God knows how best to live. God knows how things work. So we should expect that obedience to Jesus will not stymie our thriving. It will, it will add fuel to it. It will become a means of human flourishing. So, so, I mean, think for example, um, marriage. Okay, we got a lot of married couples in here. And, and every marriage, married couple will tell you to one degree or another, marriage is hard. Right? Anybody who tells you marriage is not hard ever is lying to you. Okay, so I want to tell you the truth this morning, but here's the thing. Right? So, there are people who, what's the temptation? There is a real temptation in lots of marriages to go, if I got out, I would be happier. If I had that girl or that guy, they would make me happier. And the Bible comes along and says, don't do it. That what God is calling us, the will of God, is for us to remain in covenant faithfulness so long as we both shall live. And does anyone want to argue that God's command, and if people really obeyed the command to stay faithful to one another in covenant marriage, even when it got hard, that that would, be, would not be better for our culture than divorce and promiscuity and sexual sin. Right? Of course it would be. So, so we shouldn't be surprised when we find out that this is actually a better way to live. Okay, so, so that's the encouragement. Like there are real, we might say, like, like scientifically proven benefits to doing what you're doing right now. But, but let's keep going. Because honestly, at the end of the day, let's say science said that, but the Bible said, nope, this thing's optional, then whatever, do what you want. But, but let, me, let me give you some biblical exhortation, okay? And show you that in-person attendance is not optional for most Christians. It's just not optional, right? This is not, so the Bible's gonna tell us there are issues of conscience, okay? In fact, we have a wonderful opportunity in our day and age to actually realize what Paul's talking about when he says that each one should be convinced in his own mind and then not look down on the other who disagrees with you. An issue of conscience is your political affiliation. An issue of conscience is whether or not you, you know, you, you get vaccinated. Okay, so, so, 
So this is an issue of, that. those are issues of conscience where we must be convinced and then not look down on somebody else. But here's what we must never do. The Bible says your conscience is very real and we should be very careful about violating our conscience. But we don't elevate our conscience above scripture. And allow it to overthrow the clear teachings of scripture. See, on the one hand, there's some of us that are like, you know why I don't wear a mask or don't want to wear a mask or I'm not going to come to church because I have to wear a mask because it's an issue of conscience. It's interesting to me that you would take that position and say that's an issue of conscience that the Bible says nothing about, but it's not an issue of conscience for you to stay home which the Bible is explicit about, that this is a requirement. So, so let, me, let me just sort of start from the very beginning. We quoted it last week, Jesus, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's talk about that word church. That's an interesting word, by the way. There are times when you come in scripture, like let's take the word baptism. In scripture, baptism is literally just a word that was borrowed from Greek. Baptizo, you can hear it. We just took that word and turned it into English, okay? Church is a word that you have to wonder, how did it get there in the first place? It has a very bizarre, long etymological history, right? That is it, how it sort of morphed over time from German, Latin, all this, and we finally get to the place where we call this thing church. Now, that's fine, but the problem is is that we can't see underneath that word. You can't see what it's saying in Greek. So let me tell you what it says literally in Greek. It says literally, I will build my assembly and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a Greek word, ecclesia or ecclesia, however you pronounce it there. It's it's a word that means to literally assemble together with people. Like there's no instance ever that assembly wasn't somehow, I'm assembling with you in thought. I'm assembling with you in terms of my values. No, it's literally coming together. Now Jesus had lots of words he could have used. He could have used the word synagogue. He doesn't. He could have called and said, you know, this, I'm going to build my temple. Now he calls the church a temple, but he doesn't use that. He could have said, I'm going to build a people. He doesn't use that. He uses a word and he says, this is it. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to bring people together so that when you, when you get to Matthew 18 and other places, I mean, Jesus is going to say in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. There's something about coming together, that gathering of people where we can say, surely God is in this place. That doesn't happen on the internet. That doesn't happen online. That doesn't happen by a a live stream. Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians, when you come together, do this. He's talking about church discipline there. Not, Not do this by sending that person an email or a note or a letter or a pigeon. Come together and do this face to face. Jonathan Lehman and 
and uh, Colin Hansen say this in their new book on, on church. They says, Jesus organized Christianity this way. He means to center our Christianity around regularly gathering together, seeing one another, learning from one another, encouraging and correcting one another, and loving one another. Spiritual things happen when Christians stand elbow to elbow, breathe the same air, even with mass, join our voices in song, hear the same sermon, and partake of the one bread. You look around and think, I'm not alone in this faith. What might we do together? We are not alone. See, I mean, go, go and just do a concordance search sometime. Go on your Bible program. Go online and type in one another's and each other in scripture. Whatever you want to do. And you're going to find dozens and dozens of examples of, of mostly Paul and John speaking to the church, to literal physical church and saying this is how you ought to treat one another. And not one of those can be done outside of really face-to-face gathering. It's meant to happen in that environment where we come together, we hear together, we encourage together, we love one another together. See, I don't think it's possible to obey the one another's of scripture apart from the local church. I don't think, I don't think they're written to at-large Christians who just sort of go, I'm just out there. Kind of float, float, float. No, no, no. You're meant to be face to face with people. Encouraging, loving, honoring, doing good to in a local church. We can't do that online. We have to gather. But let me show you, and that's why I've got you there this morning. Let me show you really the most pointed example of this. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's start reading at verse 24. The writer of Hebrews said this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now keep going. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, now, now listen, here's what happens. I've preached it this way. Mostly when we read this passage, we read verses 24 and 25. We put a hard stop there and we move on to verse 26. As though the writer of Hebrews is changing, uh, you know, where he wants to go. He's not. He's talking about assurance of faith. He's talking about like, I want this for you and this is how this happens. But it's a warning. Do you notice this? Do do you notice like this warning in verses 26 and 27, deliberate sin? You know what what he's referring back to in the Old Testament? If you read the Old King James, you're going to see they had something called high-handed sins. So you had what were basically, I didn't mean to sins. Like, oh no, oh that was against the law. I shouldn't have done that. That's sin. And the Bible said there's a sacrifice for that. But there were high-handed sins. Those were sins where you know better and you still do it. And do you know in the Old Testament, there is no sacrifice for that sin. You know what they had to rely on? The mercy of God. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have sinned deliberately against you. Will you be merciful? You see what he's saying? 
Right? He's saying, man, people, people who, I mean, the context of this, surely it's more, but it's not less. The context is about attending church. And to stay away is a deliberate sin. And he goes on to say, because what we need is we need to encourage one another. And we need to, in love and good works, we help one another. We help one another draw near to God when we come together, right? Because because we recognize the fight of faith is not something that I can do alone. It is a community project. I need you. You need me. We need each other. And this is why he says gather. We help people hold on to their faith, We help people develop habits of faithfulness. Can you say that about yourself? Can you look and and look at, let let me just boil it down. I'm I'm not saying it's only this, but hear me, hear me. Like in some ways we can say this, mere church attendance encourages other people toward church attendance. I'm not saying you should stop there and just go, hey, man, I came, check the box, I'm out. That's not what we're talking about. On the other hand, if that's, if that's all you got, the Bible's gonna say, man, that, that's part of a habit of faithfulness. It's coming regularly to worship and serve and listen and, and hear the word of God. See, see do, do you know that? Do you know that just by showing up, the Bible says, he, the writer of Hebrews saying, we are encouraging one another to love and good works. We are. Um, you know, a lot of people got mad at the beginning of, of COVID and maybe still are mad that, you know, they were allowing, weren't allowing churches to gather, but they were allowing protests. Okay, well, those days we're here. Can I just say something? You want to protest? You want to really want to protest? Come to church. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. You want to protest against the principalities and powers and rulers of this present world? Come to church all the time. Every time it's open, give a finger to Satan. We're here. We're here and we're going to worship. That's what you're, it's a defiant act of rebuking the the prince of this world and saying, you're not going to keep me back. I am going to protest your rule in this world and lift up the name of my king. That's what we're doing. We are encouraging one another. Now, now, now look at the words that are used. I mean, he says, we ought to consider how to do this. See that in verse 24? Consider this. You know what considering means? It means you think deeply. It means you give mental real estate to something. It means you think about the other person, right? You put your, you're like, man, I, I, I want to think creatively about how to do this. Do you ever do that? Do you think about anybody else beside yourself when it comes to church, right? We are such autonomous people and we just don't think like this. And yes, think dads and moms, think about your children, but think about your neighbors and think about your growth group members and think about the people at church. Do we give any mental real estate to that? This is not here again. This is not rocket science. This is not graduate level Christianity. This is just simple faithfulness to gather together in person and worship Jesus. Can you do that? And do you know that that encourages other people. It's, listen, it's, 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 it's mundane dinner around the table. Every week, 
I do it. Some days, wow, God was there. It was amazing. Lots of times, like, it's great. I heard the word of God today and just felt pretty mundane. And that's exactly where God wants us to learn to worship him in the ordinary warp and woof of life. You do that. We worship, we pray, we listen, we consider. But he also says considering how to stir one another up. Okay, that stirring up. The idea behind that word is to irritate. <laughs> uh, we should learn how to annoy each other. That's not what's happening, right? But no, there should be, there should be places for sharp confrontation. I've, I've told you this story before, but you, some of you know the, the myth of Odysseus, right? He's traveling and he, he's near like, what is it? The island of the sirens. And he knows that when you get near there, they will sing in such a way it'll drive a sailor mad and he'll you know, plunge his ship upon the rocks. And so he tells his sailors, listen, here's what you gotta do. You gotta tie me to the mast and you got to not let me go because I'm going to go crazy and I'm going to tell you to steer in a certain direction. Don't listen to me. What's he saying to them? Give me what I need, not what I want. I need you to, to not listen to me. I need you to tell me what's really true. I need you to irritate. It's, it's a good kind of irritation. It's the one that pushes us towards what we should really do. We need friends like that. Why? Why do we need a friend like that? Why would I want somebody that has the ability to rebuke me and say, hey, watch out? Because we, we really believe what the Bible says about our, ourselves and about our sin. We really do believe that it's possible for us to turn our ship into the rocks and make a shipwreck of our faith. And mostly, those are the things that I minimize, that I rationalize, that I'm blind to. So you find yourself struggling with sexual sin, with pornography. What do you need? You, you need? you need somebody who loves you enough to irritate you, to stir you up. You, 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 you find yourself lacking self-control, eating too much. You need somebody. You find yourself not practicing and faithful to the spiritual disciplines of, of, of just prayer and, 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 and worship and, and, and reading your Bible on a regular basis or church attendance. Uh, I went to Dallas Seminary, as I said earlier. Um, one, of the, one of my professors was a man by the name of Howard Hendricks, and he oversaw this thing called this Leadership Center, and they did a survey. My daughter Berkeley and I were texting about this this week. We, she, he, he did a survey on uh, approximately 250 pastors who had had, from Dallas Seminary, who had had moral failings. Like they had, they had fallen into sexual sin or whatever and disqualified from ministry. And, and wanted to find out, was there any commonality between them? He actually came up with four things. Interestingly, the fourth one was none of them, to a person, thought it could happen to them. But the first one was that every one of them had stopped reading their Bible and praying. Just the simple act of daily devotion to God. See, what do we need? At that point, we need friends, right? We, we need people. We need, we need to be saying in some ways, I'm here. Please help me. Like, don't give me what I need. Don't, don't give me what I want. Give me what I need. Don't let me make a shipwreck of my faith. See, few of us have friends like that. Most of us are moderns who go, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I, I do my own thing and leave me alone and I'm out. And here's what I'll say to you. If that's you and you really don't want this kind of friendship and community, you will be lonely. You will never know the power of community. And there's a very good chance you will make a shipwreck of your faith. 
listen, that is not a judgmental statement. I hope you hear this. Like I'm coming from a place of I love you. Do you know how heartbreaking it is? As a pastor, as a staff, when we gather or elders and we hear about somebody that is just punted. It's devastating. None of us want that for you. We have to be stirred up. But he also says encouraging one another. Notice this, how do you stir up one another? He goes on to say, but encouraging one another to to not give up on coming to church, being in person, the habit of this in-person attendance. Every one of us, by the way, needs encouragement, right? I do, you do, we all do. None of us are, can, hey, I'm fine, just tell you what, everybody needs it. And where, where does that happen most effectively? Face to face. Again, it's not virtually. It's not on a podcast. It's not a live stream. It's somebody looking you in the eye and encouraging you. See, so many people go back to Rebecca McLaughlin, this mental health crisis. We all know it's there. And so many people are at the lowest point of their lives. They're feeling discouraged. They're feeling isolated. They're feeling anxious. Some of you are feeling suicidal. Now, there's lots of reasons, but hear me. Could it be? Some of you, see, it's the government's fault. They did this. Maybe. Or, or maybe you're simply feeling the effects of spiritual starvation. Like you burned through your spiritual fat reserves somewhere around April of 2020, and you've just been living on fumes. And now you're anxious. And now you're lonely. Hear me. Could it be that those hunger pangs are the gracious invitation of God? To say, come back. Come and drink. Come and eat. Come and feast. Like you can have a whole new lease on this thing if we'll just be obedient to scripture. So, so let me end with this. Let me, let me talk to a few people here. First of all, I'm preaching to the choir for a lot of you. I look around this room and I see faithful, 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 faithful people. You are those who attend and you're here nearly every time the door is open. You've made this a habit of your life. Let me say this to you, keep going. Never give up. Never stop doing this. Make this a pillar of your life. Keep going. There are some of you, as another group, that would say, yeah, I'm here, but I come about once a month, once every six weeks. And so let me talk to you for a moment. Like you're, you're in a dangerous place. You have not made church a habit And the Bible is calling us to do this. This ought to, the gathering with with God's people, both in in large gatherings like this and smaller gatherings in homes, is a chance for you to say, man, I'm going to make this a habit. Maybe you feel rebuked. Maybe you feel a conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning. And here's what I invite you, very practically. Like, I, I forget what the statistic is. I think it takes, what, somewhere between six and 12 weeks to develop a habit. How about you do this? How about some of you go, All right, starting today, okay, or maybe you're going on vacation, fine, whatever. You pick a point and you say, from here on out, 
for the next six weeks, nine weeks, 12 weeks, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be here every Sunday. I will make this a habit of spiritual faithfulness in my life. Let, let, me, let me speak to those of you who are watching by the live stream. There are some of you that you, you uh, want to be here, but you can't. You want to be here, but you can't. I know many people like this. There's, there's infirmity, there's sickness, there's like, man, like, or I am terribly immune compromised. Okay, he, he, here's, here's what I'd say. Like, we love you. This is why we're doing the live stream for you right now. This is for you. Now, let me, let me make sure you hear this, though. It's still less than the best. And as God enables you, and I'm trying to heap guilt on you at all, as God enables you, come back. Come back as soon as you can. Come back and be a part of the in-person gathering regularly, habitually. But until then, no, we're here for you. We want to serve you in whatever way we can to help you as you make your way through this. We love you. But there's another group I want to talk to about, and that's those of you online who'd say, I can attend, but I won't. And you have a variety of reasons. For some of you, it's, it's, um, it's hey, I'm able-bodied, I'm fine. I've just gotten used to pajamas and coffee on my couch. For others of you, it's like, no, I've heard from some of you. No, I'm not coming because you require mass. My guess is when you go to Costco, you put a mask on. When you go to a restaurant, you put a mask on. But when it comes to church, you're not willing to lay down your rights and do the very same thing. And I say this as kindly and firmly as I can. According to scripture, you're sinning. You're sinning. You, you have decided that you can live autonomously. I'm just gonna tell, I'll say this to all of you, live stream will disappear at some point. It will be available, for those of you I talked to before, it will be available for you. If, if you know, by password or something, we're gonna make it available to those who need it. But at some point, we're not just gonna be putting services out there for people. And if your response to that is, then I'm just gonna go find another church where I don't have to wear a mask, or I'm gonna quit this and log on to another, uh, another website, you can do that. And I would warn you against it. It's what we talked about last week. We live in a modern era where it is so easy just to say, I'm out. And so hard to stay committed. So hard to say, like a family, when things get hard, I'm not running. I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna keep pursuing. And I'm concerned, listen, virtual church is an oxymoron. Colin Hansen and, and Jonathan Lehman talk, you, you cannot download the Christian life. It requires face-to-face. -face. It is not a spiritually autonomous thing that we can do on the side in our own time. It is something we commit to. And some of you rarely come to the table where there's actual fellowship. See, see look, um, if this is you, you're part of something where you're not building affections for other people. 
You're you're not building yourself up spiritually. You are living a spiritually autonomous life. And that's not good for anybody. And my concern for you is that some of you are going to walk. Some of you will. Some of you will walk away. You will punt on your faith because you have gotten the, the, the signal is now so distorted and so far away that you don't even hear it anymore. And you'll walk away and make a shipwreck of your faith. If you're in Hebrews 10, turn back to Hebrews 4. Because I want to say something to anybody who feels a conviction of sin this morning. Who feels like, man, you were talking to me and and I feel like a a weight of, like, I've done wrong. Go down to verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy for high-handed sins and grace in time of need. I'm here to just tell you Wherever you find yourself, there is mercy and there is grace and there is forgiveness. And with Jesus, there is always a do-over. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, God, thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the mundane, ordinary stuff of gathering around the table to eat the Lord's Supper, to partake of the milk and meat of God's word together and the way that you form us through that. And so I just pray for my brothers and sisters now, God. Encourage those, so many this morning who maybe feel discouraged. Lift them up, God. Encourage those, help them to continue running the race of faith, to link arms with those beside them to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the habit of gathering together as is the habit of some. Lord, Lord, let us be people of habitual spiritual discipline, especially the discipline of gathering to worship you. God, this isn't about making a big church. God, it's about gathering to lift up the name of Jesus, gathering so the world looks on and says, man, what's happening there? What's happening there? We're worshiping Jesus. He's the one we want to put on display. So help us, Lord. And Father, I pray for my friends that are here this morning and what they needed to hear out of everything is there is forgiveness, there is mercy, there is grace in time of need. And some have never received that initial mercy. And so may they take the weight of their sin. May they turn from that and look to you, a merciful God, and say, forgive me, God, a sinner, and they would find your mercy. Others, Father, here who, or not here who have just listened and said, man, I have, I have sinned against God. I need mercy, and there is mercy and grace. Do what only you can do, I pray this morning. And grant them mercy, grant them love, grant them forgiveness, and then say, go and sin no more. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name.